funny things. <laughs> but I feel like God wants me to be really serious today. <laughs> so um, it'll be a new side of me. I'm not always crazy. <laughs> today, I come completely just wanting to convey the fact that we are chosen. And I look out in the audience and I see a lot of different um, age range <laughs> variety, different generations. And um, I'm sure if we were all to have enough time to tell our life stories, we would have some doozies to share. Is doozy a word? We'll make it up. Um, but as I was, I, I kind of felt like the Lord woke me up this morning and I was still kind of like Kayla and had no clue what to share. And then it's like, God just gave it to me, but he seems to always put the same theme in my heart to share. So if you've heard me speak before, you're probably going to hear the same thing for four, seventh time. Sorry. That's just how I roll. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about today is last night when we were at the service, I felt like God uh, showed me a picture, and I was sharing this with Lisa, of kind of a bag, like a drawstring bag, and it had a bunch of mess in it. And I feel like what the Lord did last night through the word was um, this bag was kind of just cinched up with a string. And I feel like the Lord just, because that's the word, um, just untied those strings. And I feel like as we've been here and God's moving powerfully, I feel like he's bringing us to a place where he wants to really dig deep into our hearts beyond just an experiential conference that's awesome, but that he wants to create a home within us and do a deep work. And so I'm going to talk about some things that are really deep and hard and awkward. And I absolutely have no problem saying sex because I talk about sex a lot and I'll explain why. Um, so if I mention some really tough topics today, uh, let's just all commit to being okay with being uncomfortable. Could we all just commit to that? Um, can we just commit to asking the Lord to help us be vulnerable and transparent and take off our church face? Um, otherwise we should probably just go home. (laughs) Really? Okay. The thing I love, I have about 47 things I'm going to talk about because I feel like there's some people in this room. So how much time do I have? Okay. Let it go. That's right. First of all, an interesting thing about Barabbas is as I was, my husband and I watched that a while back. I I won't try to go into too many rabbit trails, but women are like spaghetti and men are like waffles. I don't know if you guys have heard that. And so men are compartmentalized. You know how on a waffle there's like, squares. I'm talking to you guys, Grant and Xavier back there. There's like little squares. So men are kind of compartmentalized. Like everything is in a little box and women are like spaghetti. We can like have a conversation and start here and then come back and, you know, like remember what we said five minutes ago and my husband thinks I'm crazy. And I just think he can only focus on one thing at one time. And so that's how God made us. And so we're spaghetti. And so I'm going to be spaghetti today. And it'll make sense at some point because the Holy Spirit always does. Okay. But uh, without giving too much information that's unneeded, about a year and a half ago, the Lord called my husband and I to begin ministering to those who are dealing with sexual and relational brokenness. And that's not really like the hot topic of ministry. Like we get excited about, you know, feeding 
the orphans, which is awesome. And I have a real passion for that. And it's really easy to talk about those things, but to like get up and talk about abortion and homosexuality and infidelity and like depression and suicide. It's just not like the popular thing in church. Okay. So thank you, Lord, for calling us to that. Um, don't you love it? So, uh, one of the things that we've, that we've gotten to do, and and we're still kind of, I would say, as a ministry in our infant stage, and we're learning, and it's really messy, and we seem to have this sign on our forehead that says, every single most dysfunctional situation, please come into my life, and then God's going to call me to, like, serve you in that and talk about it, and it gets really messy. That's good, right? But the reason I'm passionate about that is because I think that religion has silenced us from talking about the real things. So I can't tell you how many conferences I've gone to and I've sat in the chair and like even got excited and did a couple of like Holy Spirit whoop whoop. And inside I was like dying, but thinking that everybody else around me had to have just had it all together. And Um, As a result, I didn't feel like I had anywhere to go to be real. And what's funny is we think we can hide that from God. (laughs) And so I want to talk about today living an exposed life before the Lord, because I think today he wants to do a real deep healing work. I feel like he wants to rename us and remind us of who we are, regardless of where we've been. So as we've walked this journey, uh, my husband and I, What's interesting is statistically, um, we, we, I served for five years at a crisis pregnancy center here in town as a director and, and it was a life affirming agency. And so I was seeing young women and men facing unplanned pregnancy, um, single moms. Um, we started an STD clinic and that was really like, I have five shirts that say gonorrhea and chlamydia. I mean, it's really funny when like, your son's like, please don't wear your STD shirt when my friends come over. So I just said gonorrhea. <laughs> and it's okay because I'm a nurse, so I can look at it a couple different ways. But <laughs> I'm sorry. Bear with me. Like, Kaylin said intercourse, and she's single, so <laughs> she's getting ready to be married, if you know what I mean. So anyways, um, <laughs> My mom's like, oh my gosh, because she always taught me to be ladylike. And I think probably every time I talk, she's like, I cannot believe you said that. Um, so anyways, through the ministry, I begin to see what's interesting is I think we have a mindset sometimes that there's like broken people in on the other side of the fence. But statistically, if you look at the young girls that came in, they were mainly Christians. And not only were they Christians, but they were in the church. And uh, we begin to minister to men. And we would see couples come to us who were in uh, infidelity or were struggling with pornography addiction. And they were all in the church. And many of them were leaders and pastors. And so um, I believe that God wants to rip off the Band-Aid today and get to the deep issues of our hearts. And um, everyone here looks so sweet and Christian and awesome, which is wonderful because I see the glory of God and the beauty of God, which is awesome. But I also know that the reality is there's many of us in this room, statistically even, who what I'm going to talk about is going to connect. Okay? So this is a safe place. It's one of the things I want to say. This is a safe place. 
we will not force you to stand up and say, I had an abortion. <laughs> but I do want to talk about some of those things that otherwise we don't normally find ourselves addressing in church. Is that okay? Are we okay with that? That's my long introduction. So as God began to call my husband and I to this, um, one of the reasons that I felt called to that ministry was because when I was 18, I um, got pregnant. And I've gone to this church for like 47 years. And I know, some really good skin cream. And um, so like I grew up in the church and my dad was actually one of the first pastors and um, my, my parents had a divorce and I mean, just lots of mess, you know, and I was a PK and and I was 18 and had no identity and felt like I had God shoved down my throat my entire life, if that makes sense. But he never became real to me. And um, I began to search out love in all the wrong places. That sounds like a country song. And um, I became pregnant. And so after I took quite a long sabbatical from following the Lord... I, he began to woo me again, and I'm not going to go through my whole life story because it would, we would be here till next week. But, um, he began to woo my heart, and he began to call me to women who were hurting and have a passion for the wounds in my life and reach out to other women who had experienced the same thing. When I was 21, I was in a really dark place spiritually. And I was raped and got pregnant and was so scared because how could I do this again? I had a son when I was 19. I was afraid. I already felt like a failure. I felt like the Lord was mad at me. And I literally felt like I had no choice. And I don't know why God's called. I I just feel like I'm really supposed to talk about abortion right now, so I'm just going to go with it. Um, And I remember feeling so alone and so scared. And my family is amazing, but I allowed Satan to to lie to me and tell me that um, there was no hope. And I truly felt like I had no answers. I think it's really easy for us on these issues as Christians to look at the girls in these situations and think, well, life is life and it's sin, and so you just need to choose life. And we don't realize the complexity of um, their situations. And if I could be quite honest, if we want to solve the problem of abortion, then we need to love for the orphans and the widows. Okay, that's the answer to abortion. It's not standing outside of an abortion clinic and saying you're killing your baby. It's, can I take you into my home? Can I feed his sheep and be the hands of feet, hands and feet of Jesus and give you hope rather than just telling you that you need to be ashamed for your choice? So fear really locked me in and I had an abortion when I was 21 you know, what's interesting about abortion is it's so much more than a political issue. Spiritually, when we look at it, um, I believe it has been one of the number one root causes of the spirit of death that has come upon our nation. Um, I believe that abortion is spiritually an actual attack on God's nature because we're made and created in his image. And so spiritually, I believe that it destroys life on many levels and the consequences are great. But you know what else? 250,000 evangelical women will have an abortion this year. No one ever believes me when I give them that statistic. But it's true. 
So that's not people who are not going to church. That's women, pastors, wives, who have ex- who are having affairs. That's leaders. That's I mean, it's it, it is this is an S issue, okay? But even more than that, there's women who years ago had abortions and are sitting in our pews every single day, silently dealing with shame because they're so afraid to talk about it. So I want to tell you, if that's you, because statistically that's one in three, every, every one in three, actually it used to be one in four, now it's one in three. Um, God wants to heal that today. I don't care if it was 30 years ago. I don't care if it was three months ago. If you haven't told anyone about it, God knows and he loves you. And he doesn't look at you differently. And his heart longs to free you from that. And the hardest part for me was forgiving myself. And so I believe God really wants to um, speak to those women. That's my abortion spill. So as God began to call us to this really messy ministry, um, I began to realize that religion says clean yourself up and then come to God. So a lot of times we come to the cross and we're like, oh, thank you, the cross. And, and just like that video, that's why I love it. Okay, so now I've got the cross. That was like my one time free pass, get out of jail free card. So now I better keep myself good. I am not talking to myself, okay? <laughs> Can I get an amen? Um, Barabbas, his name actually back in the Bible. And I'm not like a real, I'm not candy. I'm not a scholar. So I'm just going to say Bible-y things. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to be like, Candy, is that right? Or like, Lisa, was that right? So um, in the Bible days, people would be named like son of whoever, you know, son of Jacob, son of, I don't know, give me a Bible-y name. Sure. Thank you. But what's so interesting is you have two people on this platform. You have Barabbas and you have Jesus. And you have the son of the father, the heavenly, holy, blameless, uncreated one. And then you have Barabbas. His name is actually Jesus Barabbas, which is interesting. But Barabbas means son of a father. Literally, he was anonymous. So it's interesting to me that the son of the father allowed the son of a father to be free so that a son of a father could become a son of God. Isn't that awesome? I mean, he could have just stayed in heaven and been like, peace out, you know. I'm just going to hang out here and delegate from here. But he chose to send his son to experience humanity, experience himself through us. Because I don't think he just wants to be a robot. Like God is relational. I mean, is this crazy? Like he knew Lazarus was dead and he waited a couple of days. Like he didn't know, right? (laughs) I mean, seriously, come on, Jesus. What's the deal? Get it going. And then he's so much like human that then he weeps. And then he goes and he heals, like raises from the dead. God man. Early theologians called him the God man. So he's just as much human. He understands everything we've been through, but he doesn't lose any bit of his godness. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. 
And I believe that it's because he's a relational God and he's not a robot and he desires to experience us and him. And I think that's part of the intimacy and the love that he wants to awaken in our hearts. So do you feel anonymous? Well, that's good. I'm glad you don't feel anonymous. Good. Has anyone ever felt anonymous? Has anyone ever felt like they're Barabbas? Has anyone ever felt like they don't know their name? You know what I mean by that? What are some of those things that can bring us to that? And I feel like there's four areas that, well, maybe more like six, that God wanted me to touch on specifically today. I feel like he wants to heal fatherlessness, sexual abuse, abortion, marriage problems, loss and grief, and depression. I know that's heavy stuff. But here's the cool thing. Jesus died in public and he resurrected in private. What does religion say? You need to just go ahead and die in private. Satan says, don't show, don't show. Nobody else has that problem. They're all blessed. They have it all together. Candy's got it going on all the time. She doesn't ever have any problems. Lisa is always happy every single day. Her laundry is folded. She never gets frustrated with her kids or husband because she can lead a women's conference. Right? Michelle has never had a depressed day. Ever. So in my, in my spirit, I'm feeling like there are some here today. I'm speaking to the wounded. I'm speaking to the broken. And it doesn't mean that you had to have had any kind of trauma in your life. It might just mean that you feel like God is far away and he's never been real to you. And you've never known that kind of love. Your life could have been perfect in every way. And you still feel like, Lord, are you real? Are you hearing me? So I think he's calling us to come exposed. What does it look like? It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It requires authenticity and vulnerability, which is just sometimes. But I'm realizing that when we have wounds in our life, whether it's words spoken over us from a, as a young child, whether it's uh, marriage issues, whether it's wounds, whether it's unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, addiction, uh, sexual abuse, all of those things, whatever it might be, um, bad self-image, eating disorders, self-destruction, whatever that is, it opens up a doorway for shame. And what shame says is it says you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you don't belong, and it creates wounds. And because religion, which actually when you look at the term of the original translation of that it means return to bondage so okay i got saved thank you lord for the cross and now i better work myself to stay okay with you so that includes having to hide my wounds because shame tells me that i need to do that because if i'm going to really be a good christian i have to have it all together all the time and when someone asks me how i'm doing i better say i'm so blessed god is good all the time all the time god is good which he is. He is. And the problem there is really believing that he is no matter what. 
But there's sometimes where I'm just going to be honest. Some of you today I know have sat here and gone, wow, they're like all free and doing all this stuff. And I'm just not feeling it. And I think it's because God wants to heal your heart. He wants you to come fully exposed. So from a nursing standpoint, and I'm sure some of you have heard me say this before. um, Sometimes a wound gets so bad. And I have scriptures, so at some point I'm going to put them up there. Um, I figure if I'm going to speak, I better, you know, throw some scripture in. Um, Sometimes a wound gets really bad, so much to the point where um, it needs to be exposed to light and air for it to heal. So what begins to happen is at first it has a dressing on it, and then the tissue begins to die and it becomes black and one of the things that they'll do is they'll go in and they'll do what's called the bereavement and it's a surgical procedure where it gets out all of the bad dead cells and then it needs to be exposed to light and air hello transparency hello how many of you have wounds that you've hidden for years so in this process what's interesting is once it's exposed to light and air, uh, there's a couple of other really important things. Nutrition. So what you're putting in your body, they will put you on a special diet. Your doctor will put you on a special diet. So eating healthy things is going to help create that new growth, the new tissue that needs to grow. Um, but it's also external things. So when someone is healing and they have a really bad wound that needs to be open, they're not supposed to be around smoke. Interesting. So that tells me that through our wounds, it matters what we're taking in. Are we taking in God? Are we breathing in his love and his truth? What are we surrounding ourselves with? But God wants to expose our wounds. And there is no better picture than when Jesus was resurrected. Because I think it's interesting that when he... Uh, was resurrected, and he appeared again, he still had the scars on his hands. That didn't have to happen, but he did. And we all know about Downing Thomas, who says, until I can put my hand in his side, until I can see, you know, and then once he did, he was like, oh, you are God. You know what? Sometimes people will never see the Jesus in you until you're willing to, to just bear your scars and your wounds. So what a better picture of the process in our life that God deeply heals us and then allows us to be resurrected for his glory. Am I okay? No? I'm going to hurry. So, verses. Here's one thing that I wanted to share. Um, I feel that Some of us have been battling an orphan spirit. And sometimes when there's things in our life that have um, distorted our perception of who we are in him, we begin to take on an orphan spirit and we believe that we are not his. And an orphan spirit says that we don't feel loved. So due to those love deficits, we just seek worldly passion. So when we're not secure, we seek possession. When we don't feel valued, we seek seek position. 
It's counterfeit affection. One thing that's interesting about what Kaylin said earlier about yada is if you also look in the scriptures, um, when it talks about a man laying with a woman, so Adam and Eve, that word lay is yada. But in other parts of scripture, when it was Lot's daughter that came in and slept with him, that it was shakab. And it says lay, but actually the original term is shakab. And that means literally just to exchange bodily fluids. So I believe that there's yada and then there's a counterfeit for intimacy that the world's created and it's shakab and it leaves you empty. And I think that God gave me a vision for this conference. Um, he reminded me of a mission trip that I went to. And we were in Mexico when I was a young girl. And there's a dump. And people are living in the dump, going through trash every day. And it's just horrible. They're, they're just seeking for that day's treasure. And the Lord showed me that um, we can sometimes just, what whatever those days are. And, and I know I'm not talking to myself here, but the days when you wake up and you just don't even want to live and it's hard and your kids you want to lock yourself in your room or you don't want to see your husband ever again and you're leaning into the covenant because that's all you got you got nothing else for him uh the days when you feel like why am i here i can't take the pain anymore the days when you feel like you're such a mess that surely god wouldn't love you we begin to run to that dump and we stay in that dump and we live there and we think that's what we deserve. But these children, if they knew that there was a father right down the road that had created a mansion for them, would they choose to stay in the dump and eat from the trash? And that's what we do. And God wants to free us from that. We are his daughters. And it doesn't mean that you have to fill it all the time or that you have to feel good. He's in your process. He's in the process. And he's okay with your mess. He's okay with your mess. He's not afraid of it. He's called us to be authentic. He's the hope. He's the only one true fulfilling thing. Your husband's not going to be that for you. Your drugs aren't going to be that for you. Your food isn't going to be that for you. It's just like living for today. We can just be in the dump living for today searching for the trash or we can go live where we're called with our father we have been given the spirit of adoption amen and the and the orphan spirit says i don't know who i am my perception of myself says that god must not love me and what happens when there's a child up for adoption they live an orphan lives for the purpose of trying to become a son or a daughter But when you're adopted, you're living from that place. We so often come to conferences and say, oh, Lord, thank you for this work. But our mindset doesn't change that we're his, that we've received that spirit of adoption. And we go home and we live in the dump. He wants to create a place where we reside inside. We live in identity and purpose. And we find our home in him who we are as his daughters that we are not striving for. But that is our inheritance. That is who we are. So the orphan spirit can be traced back to the garden. When when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge and good and evil their eyes were open to sin and you know what sin just means missing the mark does sin hurt god it hurts us it hurts our perception what happened after they ate that fruit they realized they were naked so some of us are so blinded in our perception of god and who we are we think we're orphans and everyone else just belongs 
And I want to tell you that's a lie. That's a lie. And when shame enters in, it tells you you're not good enough. And usually the orphan spirit manifests in two ways. Rebellion, addiction, pain, running to those things that just are going to temporarily fill the comfort. Or religion. Look at what I'm doing for God. I'm going to work really hard so I can belong. Religion says after the cross, we have to do this or that. But Jesus came to restore us to the Father, to bring us back to the Father. Religion says you have to believe like me. It's fear-based. There's hidden shame. So we come to church, and we expect the Father to visit us, but then we go, and we live our lives as orphans like we don't have a home. A wrong view of God equals a wrong view of ourself. And you know what? We are his happy thoughts. We are not his task for the day. We are not his inconvenience or his obligation. We are his happy thoughts. He delights in us. We don't feel loved. So due to love deficits, we seek other passions. So what are you investing your heart in? Who are you giving yourself to? The Lord showed me a picture a while back of a bride. And what happens when you get married? You take on the name of your husband. And I believe that the church, the big C church, we have given ourselves to so many empty lovers that we have no clue who we are. And God's calling us to walk in our full identity as the bride. And then a lot of times we transfer that identity need onto our husbands. And our husbands are only men, ladies. I love my husband, but I probably could have married somebody else and been happy, right? I mean, really. And this whole idea that there's just like this one person, what happens if one person married the wrong person and that person married the wrong person and the whole entire world married? You want to know why your husband's the right person? Because God anointed and ordained the covenant that you made. Okay? And so a lot of times our wounds... From our fathers, because we get our name from our father, right? Our identity, our name comes from our father. Then we transfer that onto our husbands. And when our husbands fail us and we find our identity in other things, we don't know who we are and we're lost. God wants to woo us back to his identity in us as our father and as our groom. He is calling us to be a bride that knows who we are, but okay with where we're at. We have to hear his voice. We have to ask that the Lord will help us work from who we are instead of for where we think we need to be. And we can have revelation all day long. But here's the cool thing about God. He's relational. I love it when God gives someone revelation. But the moment that your revelation supersedes relationship, it's irrelevant. He does it through relationship. Girls are mean sometimes. We can be mean. We judge, we're like, "Uh uh-uh, she did not even do that in church. Well, she's just too much for me. I don't, I mean, let's be honest, okay? He's called it, we need each other. Sister power, you know what I'm saying? So repentance and forgiveness. God wants to uh, restore our identity, our dignity. He wants you to dream again. And that's where that passion comes from. It's not a counterfeit passion. It's a godly passion of stepping into our identity of who he's called us to be, that you are adopted. You have been given the spirit of adoption and you are not an orphan. You are not an orphan. You are not less. Kayla Peters, you are not an orphan. You are not an orphan. You are his chosen. You are his daughter. 
And what happens when you're adopted and you get placed for adoption? You take on that name. So I'll end, I'll end soon. But Satan wants to, to say you can never be free. We have to pray over general, generational roots. The orphan spirit is kind of like the prodigal son if you think about it. We come back and we don't, but this is the great thing is that he just keeps us, completely embraces us with open arms. So when we have an orphan spirit, we, we are a person living without a home. We don't have a place of purpose, love, security, value, grace to know where you are and that you're his. You feel like you're just a visitor. Does anyone ever feel like everybody else feels like they belong, but I'm just a visitor? Yeah, we're keeping it real up in here. But here's the cool thing. Guess what? We live under covenant, not a contract. So I just want to read, and I'm going to do some verses real quick, and then I'm going to be done. But here's what's really cool. And I won't go through it all, but I would encourage you to study in the word what the Old Testament covenant looked like versus the New Testament covenant. Because the Old Testament covenant, there was obligation so that whenever you entered into to it, um, you were obligated to kind of hold up your end of the deal. It required a blood sacrifice. You had to do something to cleanse yourself to be right. Obedience to the law. So if the Israelites obeyed, they were blessed. If the Israelites disobeyed, they were cursed. Since it was impossible to keep all the law, then the law condemns. But what are the obligations of the new covenant? Faith and love, agape love, obedience to a new commandment to love one another as Christ loved us. So just knowing that we're chosen and loved by him isn't enough. We actually need to love each other. We're bought with a price. We belong to the Lord. So here's what's exciting. When you look at the two different words, which I'm not even going to try to, um, I mean, ask Candy how to say it. But that how do you say it, Candy? D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E. It's made by one party on behalf of another. That's the new covenant. Before, the old covenant was an agreement between two people. The new covenant is initiated by one on behalf of another person. Hello, Jesus. Hello, Jesus choosing us. And that we're chosen and we're actually not even in control of him choosing us. Wow, that's covenant and inheritance. It's all of God. When you look at the root of this word, D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E, just look at it. The benefactor has no involvement in the agreement except a willingness to receive it. In this respect, it's it, it's like a testament or a will, an inheritance. The covenant is all of God. Sometimes we live under contract. What does a contract say? say I agree to this under these terms. We live under a contract with God, and he's given us a covenant. A covenant that we can't even initiate on our own. A covenant that he chose. He wasn't like, well, you ate the fruit. Guess got to go die on the cross. A covenant that he passionately pursues. That's not limited by obligation. Or legal stipulation. 
And we already have an eternity that already went, an attorney that already went before us and pleaded our case. He's given us a covenant. So I'm just going to show the scriptures really quick because I made you guys do them and that would be horrible if I didn't. We're just going to read through them really quick. Um, just to kind of some scriptures that God put on my heart. Do you have them? Oh, there we go. Okay. Let, um, Ephesians 1, 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I love that. So when I was on the abortion table, he still loved me. Even in the midst of my sin. Sin is a secondary reaction to falling short of the glory of God. Okay, what was the next one? Christ, I don't, which one was this? I don't even remember which one it was, but it's okay. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He did it and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. Where was that? Did I give you that? Okay, that's right. And I love that. I love that. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have had known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. Hello, that's our mindset sometimes. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to self-sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. But he loves us. He's relational. And you know what? At the end of the day, we're not the point. He is. He gets the glory. And sometimes we can get addicted to coming in and having sex and we don't want the covenant of the intimate, of real true intimacy. And I just want to tell you that it's in the suffering and it's in the pushing through that we find that true covenant. Okay, what's next? What did I put next? He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. Life to those places of hurt. Life to your marriage that you feel like is on the brink of destruction. Life to the wounds that have been spoken over you. Life to the sexual abuse. Life to those that never had a father and never felt like they added up to anything. Life. You don't live under the law anymore. Do I have anything else on there? This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. I mean, that's cool. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Also, he said, right for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He didn't leave you after you 
like said the prayer. He wants to know you. He wants to be known. He doesn't just want, he doesn't just know us. He wants us to know him. Is that it? Did I have another one? To the thirsty, I will give from the fountain of the water of life without payment. He who conquers shall have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son or daughter. So I just want to encourage you today. And I really feel like there's an anointing here that God wants to deliver our minds from seeing ourselves as orphans. And maybe it's that you haven't dealt with any of those issues, but maybe it's that you're dealing with depression. Can I have my helpers come up for just a second that, that I just felt like God wanted me to do this kind of visual presentation? If you can, for a moment, think about what those things are in your life. What's the trash in your dump? Sometimes we're a mask. And sometimes God calls us to come fully exposed. Are you on an antidepressant? Here's my mess. And you know what? God still loves me, even though I have to take that. But he can free me too, because he's a healing God. But he's okay with where I'm at. And he's not asking you to clean it up first. And he's okay with you coming before him naked and stripped. And he loves us just as we are. And he's your father. And he doesn't treat you the way your earthly father did. He loves you. He pursues you. You're not an orphan. You've been given his name. And this is more than just an experience. It's it's finding a home in the place, in the identity, in the purpose, and coming stripped before him. So what's your mess? What's in your bag? Is it your makeup? Is it your mask you wear? Is it the stuff we put on because we just want to look good? Or we want everybody to think we have it together because we think that otherwise God won't love us? Is it because you're so lonely or you feel neglected by your husband that you don't even can't even imagine God loving you? What's your mess? And I feel like God just wants us to lay that down today. Come completely spilled. He's okay. He's okay with your mess. He's okay with your doubts. He's not afraid of your fear. He's not afraid of your anger. He's not mad at you. He's okay with your hard days. He's okay the days when you just want to lay in bed. Because I have those days and I'm not alone. But we have hope. That's the end of the story is that there's hope. We don't have to stay there. But he wants us to come fully exposed. And allow his light and air to expose our wounds and heal us. And it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and vulnerability is not easy. But could you imagine if the body of Christ and us as daughters of the king could be completely transparent and vulnerable? The power, the redeeming power and the restoring power that God can work through us, not just for ourselves, but as 
we lay ourselves down, as we bear our wounds just like Jesus did, they can see the hope of Christ, the hope of glory of Christ in us in the midst of our mess. And our mess becomes our message, and our test becomes our testimony, and the chains are broken, and the orphanages are gone, and we're not going to eat from trash anymore. We're not going to believe the lies that says you're not good enough. Or if my husband doesn't love me, I'm unlovable. I believe there's people here who, I believe God wants to heal marriages. God wants to heal marriages. He wants to restore intimacy. God wants to heal hearts from divorce, sexual abuse, depression, depression, depression. That has been so heavy on my heart. There is a joy that surpasses circumstance and emotion, and it's a greater joy. And there is the only one true fulfilling thing in this world is him. Because we try every day to fill it with something else. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's him. It's for his glory. In the end, it's all about him. Jesus is enough. Jesus is more than enough. So I'm done. now okay i just want everyone just to come everyone just stand up and ministry team go ahead and get set in your places and we can keep music going that's awesome we love music i think really leah did a good enough job making the invitation you know she 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 put it out there you know God is for you. <laughs> he wants to heal you right where you're at. And I'm just going to call you up to, to come. If there's anything you need to lay on the altar up here, come, kneel down, come and get prayer. Awesome. And so um, I'm just going to invite you to come. Just come. The Lord says come. Come on. Come on.